May the words of my mouth and the meditation of all of our hearts be always acceptable in your sight, O Lord, our strength and our Redeemer. Amen. Please be seated. Well, today is to be the feast of, of the um, presentation of Jesus in the temple, but there was an alternative option in the, the Book of Common Prayer to stick with the uh, fourth Sunday of Epiphany, and so I opted for that because I wanted to look at this passage in the gospel. Before we do, a few little stories I want to read to you. A game warden in Texas stopped a pair of men for fishing without a valid license. One of them did not have proper identification. According to the Houston Chronicle, the man without the ID knew he had an active warrant for his arrest, and so in his effort to deceive the law enforcement, he gave the officer the name of a friend. As it happens, the man whose name was given also had warrants for his arrest. So despite his attempt to dupe the warden, the man was taken into custody anyway. And while he was being booked into jail under the false name, he admitted to his lie, was booked under his real name, and charged additionally with lying to a police officer. <laughs> this is another one's a really good one. Uh, officers in Crossville, Tennessee, arrested a woman after an unusual police pursuit last week. It seems that the police say that Sally Selby took an electric shopping cart from the Walmart, the kind you ride in, <laughs> and drove it down Highway 127 in the slow lane. Police pursued it at a very slow speed, and when the officers were able to stop her, Selby reported to them that she had taken the cart from the Walmart and was driving it to the Waffle House in order to get a cup of coffee. <laughs> NYPD Transit posted images on Twitter one of arresting officers and the other of a gun, a handgun, lying beside a, an evidence cone. The caption reads this, Three of our cops are in the local Baskin-Robbins. A fellow walks in, adjusts his pants, and out drops a loaded gun onto the floor. Now this repeat felon is in custody, all because a transit cop had a craving for cake batter ice cream. And they put, seriously, this really happened, right in there in the... You know, nothing makes me feel better sometimes than reading stupid criminal stories. I don't know about you. It just makes me feel better about myself. I, um, I, I do really dumb things quite often. The day is young. I'm not sure, you know, what I might be lying in bed tonight thinking about, Joe, you moron, why did you do that? But I like to think that there's a sophistication to my stupidity at this, this point in my life, that, um, that I do things stupid still, but this had a little better kind of uh, quality to them. And maybe that's why these stupid criminal stories always kind of appeal to me. Nobody wants to feel like a moron, do they? I mean, nobody wants to feel stupid. We all want to believe that our misdeeds, our misbehaviors, our, our foolish acts are sort of behind us. We know they're not, but we would like to think that maybe they are. We, we think that maybe the really incredibly stupid things are, are done. We, we've moved on. And maybe most of them happen when we're young. Uh, I read the other day that the human brain does not fully develop until 25 or 26 years of age. I mean, we're 26 before, I mean, that's a full four years after most people finish college, before they're, you know, they're really um, at a place of making good judgments which is why parents worry. They worry about their children even long after. I mean, when they're, when they're old enough to take responsibility for their own actions, we still say things to them like, make good choices, <laughs> um, you know, uh, be careful, follow the rules. Or if you're a dad, don't do anything dumb, you know. <laughs> and my, my kid went away this weekend to visit some friends 
in another college town in Athens, sort of, you know, famous for um, for uh, a little bit of partying and whatnot. And so I say to him, look, don't do anything dumb, you know. Don't do, and I text him. And so you're not doing anything stupid, are you? No, I'm doing fine, Dad. It's sort of a rule for life, though, isn't it? Just don't do anything stupid. That's a, that's a really good rule for living. Brings me back to Matthew chapter 5 through 7, which is Jesus' Sermon on the Mount. In Matthew chapters 5, 6, and 7, the most famous sermon ever delivered, um, Jesus' Sermon on the Mount, perhaps it's collections of, of things that Matthew recalls and brought back together, um, more than just a, a transcribed sermon, but it, it is the, the, the kernel of Jesus' most famous teachings. It's the place where we get things like the golden rule, you know, whatever you would want someone to do for you that you should do for them, right? To do for others what you would wish them wish them to do for you. I can get that out. But the point of the sermon is not to give us a list of laws. It's not to give us more rules to live by. That's really not the purpose. It's more about a wisdom for living. It's about how to live well and how to make wise decisions. Uh, Michael Bird and N.T. Wright released a book, on, uh, a new book on the New Testament, which I have a copy of. Thanks, Shane Nan. Thank you very much. But I was reading this about the Sermon on the Mount just recently. He, they say there, Jesus' teachings here are not about behaving nicely so that God will reward you with a place in a kingdom called heaven. The sermon is rather the agenda for kingdom people who want to work for the kingdom. It's an agenda for kingdom people who want to work for the kingdom. And the sermon begins then with these eight little pithy sayings, eight little short beatitudes are what we call. Beatitude means a, a very extremely happy place, you know, to be in ecstatic joy. Um, it, it's a, a sense of, of happiness. In fact, most translations translate blessed are, blessed are, blessed are. Some translations happy are. The person is happy who does this. So if you'll bear with me, and this let me reread this, listen to it afresh. When Jesus saw the crowd, he went up to the mountain, and after, and after he had sat down, his disciples came to him. Then he began to teach them, saying, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be filled. Blessed are the merciful, for they will receive mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called children of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Does anybody see any difficulty here? I mean, if you look at this, happy are you when you're poor, when you mourn, when you're hungry, and when you're persecuted. Really? Because I don't think that's right. I think he, maybe he messed this up. This is not, happy are you when you're rich. Happy are you when you celebrate. Happy are you when you're full. Happy are you when you're praised. That's what we would say. It's like Jesus has this incredibly backwards. It's altogether wrong. Is this really what God wants? He wants people poor and sad and hungry and persecuted. See, I think too long we have read the Beatitudes with this, you know, like... Like this fireside chat kind of thing, you know? We feel like maybe you should have a, a glass of sherry and a pipe and, and, and a fire. And, you know, we sit there and isn't this lovely and warm and, and nice? And, and no, it's not. It's meant to be shocking, to be jarring, to make us like, what are you talking about? This is completely reverse of everything that I think. You're blessed when you're poor and sad and hungry and persecuted. 
when you're gentle and kind and pure and moderate? How can that possibly be? How can it be that you're happy when you do these things? Only if you have a different set of values. Only if we have a different set of values are these things blessings. Because humility, this is what it means to be poor in spirit, is it? It's to be humble. It's to be, uh, to be someone who mourns, someone who longs for the world's injustices to be fixed. Someone who hungers, wants God to do a work on them. They're so, they're so concerned that God would change me that they don't have time to worry about what God would do with other people. Blessed are the persecuted because they have decided to walk with Jesus no matter what. My mother used to say, and I don't think this is swearing, come hell or high water. You know, this is what we're doing. We are following through with Jesus no matter what. So the Beatitudes come back to us, don't they? Do they shock us? Do they jar us? Or do they make us mm, in that sweet? Because these values are completely foreign to the, to the world we live in. These values are not the values that you find in the newspaper or on the television. These are not the values that you find commonly associated with, with fame and celebrity and with fortune. Not at all. And maybe we say, oh, you know, that's Sunday stuff. This is Monday stuff. If ever there was Monday stuff, it's this right here. This is the thing that gets us in the, in the world. Do we really want to walk with Jesus? Humility is not rewarded in this world. It is not. Arrogance is. Boastfulness, pridefulness, uh, uh, you know, self-aggrandizement, uh, that's rewarded in this world. But Jesus says that is contrary. And you're like, oh, but it seems so foolish. Did you hear what St. Paul said? I mean, this, all these readings were, were, were saying the same thing. That God has a way for us to live in the world that is contrary to the way this world wants to reward us. And it begins with humility. Mourning, grieving for a fallen world. That's not the way of the world. The way of the world is game the system. Find a way to, to get a niche and get an edge. No, mourn for the brokenness of this world. Hungering for God. Oh, this is a big one. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. It's not just for a thing, righteousness. It's for the righteous one. The only way we ever become righteous is by our proximity to the righteous one. It's being close to God. That makes us righteous. And in fact, the closer you get, the further you realize you are away. It's a joy when you first come to faith if you, if you can remember that. And thinking, oh wow, you know, what a great, fantastic thing this is. This transformation that, takes, like, that has taken place in my life. Get my verb stints right. What a blessing, what a great thing. But the longer you walk with Christ, the more that you know that He loves you just like you are the more you don't want to be just like you are. That hunger and thirsting for transformation on the inside, that God would do for us what we cannot do for ourselves. It is not your best life now, which is completely the opposite. It, it's, it's taking God and turning God into a genie in the bottle. Oh, we'll keep him on the shelf, you know. Like, you know, keep the Bible in the house. You never know when you might need it. <laughs> no, that is not hungering and thirsting for righteousness. Persecution. 
How could we possibly be blessed if we're persecuted? Wouldn't we much be happier if we're praised? I don't know about you. I like praise a whole lot better than I like persecution. I mean, I really do. I, it's, it's sort of one of my things. Um, and maybe you do too. Maybe you like to be praised. But when it comes to following Jesus, would we rather be praised or would we rather suffer? If it comes to a choice, bring on the persecution. Bring on the unhappiness. Bring on the snark and the sneers and the jeers. If that's what it takes, yep, I'm a Jesus freak. I'm totally sold out for him. That's the way it is. See, I don't think Jesus is saying that happiness comes from misery. I don't think he's saying that at all. I think he says that blessing comes, happiness comes, real happiness comes from putting God first in our lives. When God is first, and I mean not, not a, a tie for first, but I mean a solid first, <laughs> which means that I, you, yourself, have to be a solid second. And if you're married, a solid third. And if you have children, you see how it goes. And if you're living in the world, you're further down that list. It's having God first in our life, not just a moral compass, but, but a true north for everything. And when that happens, it's not a burden to pray. It's not a burden to open the Bible. It's not a burden to come to church to worship. It's not a burden to give of our resources to, to needy causes. It's, just, it's, not a, it's not a burden to help somebody who's in need. It's not a burden to give of ourselves. If it is a burden, if it is a difficulty, then we have to say, well, who is really number one? And let me be honest, everybody in the world will tell you, oh, they will encourage you in bad values. <laughs> they will say, look out for number one. You know, you got to take care of yourself. And I, I don't mean you have to be harmful to yourself, but you, you, you got to look out for number one. You got to put, no, not, you, maybe that's right. You do have to look out for number one, but you can't be number one. I can't be number one. God has to be our true north. And unless he is, everything else is difficult. Here's what I want to say. We all do stupid things. Again, the day is young. Who knows what might happen before we fall asleep tonight. But there's one really smart thing you can do. One really smart thing that I can do. And that is to make a decision to follow Jesus. I'm going to follow him no matter what. Because when I do that, when you do that, even suffering can be turned into blessing. And that, I think, is very good news. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit.